This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Homecoming. And the author is Sue Ann Bowling, and Sue Ann joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Sue Ann. Hello. Well, good to have you with us. Uh, let me read some that you have written about the book Homecoming. This is what you say. This is a science fiction novel, but it is about people, even though they aren't all human. It is also a coming-of-age story, though probably unlike any you've read before. In some ways, the topic itself is unusual. One reviewer commented that just as you think you see shades of Oliver Twist or Harry Potter, you realize that this is something quite different. Another is the way the three separate stories come together. It's hard to talk about it without spoilers, and it's unusual to have a protagonist so handicapped, yet with such unusual intelligence and abilities. Well, a complex story, but a science fiction thriller, an epic kind of uh, treatment. Why did you write the book, Sue Ann? Well, the book has been slowly coming into my head for about 30 years, and I started writing it down about 16 years ago. Decided to start with Roy's youth, and uh, this is what eventually came out of it. Well, you have quite a science background yourself, Dr. Bolin. Tell us about some of your background that kind of lent itself to helping you formalize uh, this very complicated science fiction story. Well, I majored in physics and was actually in the physics department at the University of Alaska as a faculty member for almost 30 years. Had to retire a bit early because of uh, uh, diabetes and vision problems. But I actually started writing Homecoming while I was still on the faculty. Also, I've been very interested since junior high school in genetics, uh, which also plays a part in Homecoming in that the main character, Roy, is suffering from a genetic problem that he does not affect him but could affect any children he has. Well, let's talk about the... The characters, and in getting to know the characters, we'll start to understand the some of the themes of the story. Now, let's talk about Lie. Tell us about Lie. He's the only one of the purebred real Nye. Now, tell us about real Nye. I am assuming that the human race, both ours and the one that I talk about in this story, were actually produced by a hybridization of a Rillian named Yarn, who was stranded on Earth during the last interglacial and interbred with the proto-humans, but very early humans that he found there. And their descendants, some of them stayed on Earth and eventually became us, but some of them followed him back to the stars where they colonized a large group of stars, probably several hundred light years across, which eventually became the Confederation. 
that they had some problems there. There was another race, not in an inimical race, but that just not compatible with humans. They go through a stage in their reproduction when the nervous system and the body are separate, and the nervous system is capable of infecting humans, though so not the real not. But the real not could detect infected humans and treat them, and... Uh, Basically, the humans came to rely on the Rilians to do this, and also to prevent the human planets from making war on each other. Uh, some 10,000 years ago, an epidemic struck the Rilni, which killed many of them off. They found a cure with the aid of the humans, but they simply weren't enough of them to keep up their guardianship. So they began rehybridizing with their human part descendants, and this produced the Rilnoids, uh, who are now doing the job of keeping the human planets from warring on each other, kind of a interstellar United Nations, if you like, and also protecting them from the moths. Well, so they are essential for the survival of the human race, but they are not really ruling it because the individual human planets have, com have complete freedom in their own on their own planets. But this, the real nine handles strictly the relationships between planets and between the humans and the monks. Well, tell us about Lai. He is a survivor. He's the last survivor. The last survivor. But he right. still feels. Bill and I have been slowly dying off ever since the plague. And but, he is the last survivor of a species that is going extinct. But he still feels bound to his race's responsibility to the Confederation. Now, why is that? Human beings would never have reached the stars on their own without the help of his predecessor. In fact, there is kind of an agreement among the races of the galaxy that no race is to be allowed to have anything to do with various interstellar races until they have achieved starflight on their own. The assumption is that any race that can survive to produce starflight is not going to be a warlike race. Now, does he have some uh, powers? He has some mental powers, which we would refer to as a telepathy, telekinesis, levitation, and many of the Rilnoids also have this power. Also, they, they don't age. They're not immortal by any means. They can be killed, but they do not die of old age. Now tell us about Snowy. Snowy is a slave boy. He has some rather odd talents, but he doesn't understand. All he knows is that his mother told him he'd be killed if anyone ever found out about them. One of these is that he feels the emotions of anyone near him or anyone at any distance that he knows closely and is a you know, good close friend with. And for a slave, this can be very upsetting. It's not necessarily a positive ability. He also has an ability to heal broken bones and things like this, which is very useful for a slave. And there's Marna. Marna is also Rillian, but she is from a completely different group. Um, in fact, 
before Jan's time, a couple of hundred thousand years ago, um, her group settled a totally different planet, Rhea, which is well outside the boundaries of the Confederation and completely unknown to it. But there has been an epidemic on that planet, some disease that was just totally novel to them, and basically wiped out the entire population of the planet. Barna survived, and it's been about 200 years now, solely because she was on an isolation satellite studying a different disease. She's a healer by training, but the, um, the life support system of the satellite gave out, and she was forced to return to Rhea, fully expecting to die very quickly, and she didn't. So she is trying to survive, being the only one of her species yet alive. Physically, it's no problem. The planet was basically run by robots, and they're still working. And In fact, very, very happy. If robots can be happy, they seem to be happy to have her back, back to give them orders. But uh, she's frantically trying to keep herself distracted. Now, the only way that the Confederation and, and humanity can survive is if they learn to work together. Now, this is part of the plot. Right. Basically, Live discovers the existence of other real lives and goes hunting for them and is able to save Marna. Now, there's some, pro- there's some problems in that they... She doesn't want to go back with him. He doesn't want to stay with her, and so on. But they do wind up. And the common thing about it, this might be a spoiler, but they they eventually all three of them come together. Now tell us about this genetics board. The assumption is that I'm developing a society which is rather different from ours in some ways. And one is that the genetics are the primary concern in having children. Um, Basically, the genetics board has to approve any mating which involves a realnoid or or the pure pure realnian. And in fact, they will sometimes require matings where the individuals involved would just as soon not. Sue Ann, you have a specific philosophy that helped you to create this theme in your book. Tell us about that. One of my favorite authors is Mercedes Lackey, and I'd like to quote a bit from her because I think she's kind of got it in a nutshell for storytelling. Make your audience identify with and care deeply for a character and then drop a mountain on him. Well, that has actually been the philosophy of good storytellers back to at least Homer. And that's what I've tried to follow in making uh, all of my characters very real, very much person, though they're not all human, and faced with problems, most of them mental, so to speak, rather than physical, but some physical problems, too. Now, one of the themes in your book deals with fundamentalism, extremism, uh, that you say is in any religion. Well, I'm saying it is a possibility in any religion. Um, Let me see if I can find a bit, if I just marked it. (laughs) Probably didn't. 
Um, but basically, at what, there is a point at which I believe shades into I know, which is fine, but then I know shades into anybody who doesn't believe exactly as I, what I know to be true is a devil or even inspired by one and it deserves to die. And that is the point that you really have to be careful you don't step over. You say that one of the most controversial aspects of your book, the message of your book, is family relationships. Right. Basically, I have not used a standard two-person children family because it wouldn't work with two species like the humans and the real ones. Basically, you've got one species which is extremely long-lived. The Runian women are only capable of having a child about once every hundred years. Among other things, that means that for, for the Runi, it was automatic that it took about 50 years for a child to reach the point where he was able to, pick, to be completely mature, but by that time, Generally, the, the individuals who are, whose parents would have separated, and in fact, it was considered immoral among the real not for a woman to have more than one child by the same man. And you've got the situation in humans where you normally have several children who are immature and needing aid at the same time. They frequently need aid from both parents so that the two parents have to stay together to raise the children. What I've used is a kind of a combination of those two that basically the genetics board is responsible, among other things, for making sure that every real crossbred child has a secure, loving home, but not necessarily with the genetic parents. The title of the book is Homecoming, and the author is Sue Ann Bowling. Sue Ann, tell us how to get your book. Well, the first thing to do is to go to my website, which is www.sueannbowling, and that's bowling spelled as in bowling alley. And from that, you can actually reach a number of other websites, including my Facebook page, um, my professional page back when I was working at the Geophysical Institute, um, some genetics articles that I have up on the web, so on. And it's got a page on the site on how to get the book for Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or iUniverse. I try not to mail it too much from here simply because I live in Alaska and mailing anything from Alaska is a pain in the neck. <laughs> well, Sue Ann, we appreciate you being with us on iUniverse Radio. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you. That was Sue Ann Bowling. She is the author of her book, Homecoming.
You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The name of the book, She's No Angel. And Helen Rose Evans joins us. She put this book together for her late brother who wrote these stories and she joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Helen. Hello, and how are you? Well, I'm just doing great and uh, good for you that you were able to do this for your brother. He passed away in 2000. Yes, he did. Let's see. His name is Edward John Israel. Mm-hmm. I-Z-R-A-E-L. Yes, I-Z-R-A-E-L. A little different right. uh, in spelling uh, with the pronunciation of Israel. I want to read just a few of the things you've written to kind of set the stage for our discussion of this book, She's No Angel. Mm-hmm. You call the book the best way to describe it. There's adventure, mystery, it's heartwarming, happiness, sadness. Uh, because we're dealing with a couple of plays and uh, several short stories. You, you say it will take you places you've never been. And it will make you think of yourself at times as you travel through each page, each story or play. It's one of a kind, and you won't fall asleep with this novel, for it will have you either laughing or wondering what is on the next page as you travel with Edward John Israel's dreams and adventures. So these are your brother John's dreams and adventures? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. 
Yes, and uh, he was the type of person that he was always thinking, always uh, finding different ways to uh, advance himself, you know. Um, he was always writing, always writing. And you were surprised, though, to find these, weren't you? Correctly, I was. I never knew he did all this <laughs> until I found, received his manuscripts that uh, actually he wrote about each story. And myself, I felt that um, I could or would try to have it turned into a novel to proceed with his stories as a memory of him. And... Uh, fulfilling his dreams that he was with us once upon a time. Well, it's a great tribute to your brother, so congratulations to him and congratulations to you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, as we said, this book has several short stories and it also has a couple of plays. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of them just to give everyone an idea of of the uh, type of story they are. Now, like the first one is A Boy's First Tractor. Now, what is this about? Well, this this, uh, first tractor is when he was a child. He was, oh gosh, I don't know. Probably four or five years old, and we lived on a farm, 100-acre farm here in London, uh, in Glencoe, Ontario, in Canada. <coughs> Excuse me. And my father would work on the fields, and of course, my brother was always interested in you know, what he was doing. He was always around him. So this one time, my dad took him on the tractor, and that, that's where the title comes from. So and this they is on, they worked on the field back and forth. <laughs> this is <laughs> what Edward. the first tractor meant to your brother Edward. Yes. Let's see. We have another one called, which is after the title of the book. She's no angel. Now, who's she in this? Okay. Now that leads you into a person that is a chain smoker, and they're trying to. Um, uh, quit smoking, so they decide, or someone uh, would introduce you to a, to a place. So it actually involves my brother. Uh, he went to a clinic, and he met this lady. She was real pretty, blonde uh, hair, blue eyes, and, you know, real young. So to him, she looked like an angel. So... To kind of give you a rough idea about this, uh, when he got to this clinic, she took him into her room, and she gave him a whole bunch of packages of cigarettes, and he, she closed the door and told him he can smoke all he wants, and then he's going to be watching a film. Besides the desk where all these cigarettes were, there was a bucket. But this is as far I'm going to tell you. Where uh, she did turn out not to be an angel. Uh oh, she did. You'll have to buy the book to read the right, rest of it. Right, right. <laughs> well, and these are true stories, aren't they? Yes, they are. These yes, are true are. stories that your brother Edward he experienced. Mhm, mhm. Yes, they are. Well, we have another one called the reunion. Oh, uh, the reunion is. Uh, no, I don't know too much of that one. Um, I believe it's meeting up with his colleagues, like um, 
Oh, he he taught school and that uh, at St. Catharines, Ontario, here in Canada. And I believe what that is, it's uh, like a reunion of a high school or a public school. It's a story roughly about that. Um, I don't know much, too much of it. Okay, all right. I would have to read it again. All right, (laughs) and then there's there's another one called the Ice Baby. Now, what's that about? Ice ice Babies, uh, I believe that takes you into farming, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's it's got something to do with uh, harvesting vegetables, etc. You know, uh-huh. uh, stuff like that. Yeah, just um, I really have forgotten myself. I haven't read it for a while, so okay, it really fulfill you with with ice babies. Yeah, and then there are a couple of plays. One is grandmother. This was this about his grandmother, your grandmother? I don't think so. I think it's just more of a. Uh, experience probably was uh, his teaching because he used to teach theater arts in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. And I think he can relate to that in, in some ways as far as the plays go. Okay, and then we have another play <laughs> called The Rifle. Yeah, that would be similar, same basic, I would say. Like, um, like I'm a sitting, I haven't read those two for a long time. Well, this is a real tribute to your your brother, a real tribute mm-hmm. to him of, of getting these published for him. What did your brother do? He was a teacher, a French English and a French teacher in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. He lived there at Langley, British Columbia. Yeah. And he was uh, into uh, counseling. He was into theater arts and uh, as a French teacher. And he also um, acted in a play called The South Pacific. And like in, then he went into um, teaching theater arts, and this is where he had plays similar like The Fiddler on the Roof, South Pacific, and, you know, a few other ones that, you know, you would see on TV or whatever in theaters. Mm-hmm. Well, you say his mind was always working, even when he was a small infant. He was just always thinking and creating. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes he was. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't figure him out because uh, he, his little hands. You know how you um, uh, turn your hands to put a light bulb in. Right. Okay, well, his little hands were always going like that. So that meant he was thinking of something. <laughs> and he was still in his little crib. <laughs> Isn't that just like a, the light bulb was, you know, the lights were yeah. coming on, right? He was thinking exactly. of a new idea. Exactly. <laughs> well, my, my grandfather said that he's going to be a professor. <laughs> well, and he was a teacher, so, you know. Yes, he, yes. yes. He, he became uh, much more than what he at first uh, grew up as, and he had, uh, he, you say his determination was not to be a farmer. Exactly, exactly. No, he, uh, my mother wanted him to become a farmer, to stay in on a farm, to keep it going. He said, no, he's going to study hard, and it's going to be something else. So he turned out to be that. 
This is called She's No Angel. Several short stories and a couple of plays. Uh, We have A Boy's First Tractor, She's No Angel, The Reunion, The Ice Baby, and we also have a couple of plays, Grandmother and The Rifle, The Thoughts and Dreams, and, and just the desires of Edward John Israel. That's correct. And this is his sister, Helen Rose Evans, and she helped get this published for her brother. Tell us how to get your how to get the book. Tell us, Helen. How to get the book? Well, they can go online and internet with I University Publishing. It could be on Noble. Can be on uh, Amazon. And now, if they get in touch with those, um, I'm sure that it will come up online. I have a, I have a, a poem, like I do uh, poetry part-time, whenever it comes to me. <clears throat> May I read it to you? Sure. Okay. Now, this is dedicated to my brother after he died. Okay, it's called At Peace by Han Rose Evans. Now I am at peace. I have taught and sung a song. Now am at peace, oh peace. Nothing like being cradled by the Lord. Now I'm at peace. I have danced and played, walked here and there. Now at peace, Lord of heaven. Grant me peace, I bow to you, Lord. Born with sin, purified by you. Now I'm at peace. No more tears, no more pain, nor light or darkness. I'm created by my Lord. Now I'm at peace. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Helen. I know that you were very close to your brother, and just everything that you've been able to do has really made you probably feel even closer to him. Yes. Well, thanks for being on iUniverse Radio. Oh, yeah, thank you very much for calling and having me on there. And you folks have a good day. Bye-bye now. That was Helen Rose Evans. She has published her brother's book, She's No Angel. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Dix of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. 
The girlfriend at principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, Girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Polixena, A Story of Troy. And the author is Herb Allinger. And Herb joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Herb. Hello. Well, this is a... Well, no other way to call it but an epic. It's an incredible journey into the literature of Troy, uh, classical literature, dealing with the great uh, city of Troy. You say this about your book, a love story of all the ages. This is a uniquely different telling of Troy's fall as witnessed by Priam's daughter, Polixena, before she is slain. You also say this book was meant for readers familiar with classical literature who would know about her and how she met her end. I wrote the book with this expectation in mind, striving towards creating an enduring heroine, bringing out this quality in her relationships with the more familiar personages associated with the Trojan myth. Romantics should also be drawn to it, as it is a powerful love story. History buffs might also like it, even though it is mythology. Well, this certainly is a huge, huge effort to create. Uh, why do this, Herb? Why did you create this great story? Well, you're going to find this interesting. I, I found the name attractive, Polixena, and I've known about her for quite a, quite a long time. Ever since, in fact, ever since um, getting into uh, classical literature back in high school, um, and I've um, I found the name attractive, and uh, her story is uh, she is the last casualty of the Trojan War. She was sacrificed by the Greeks to assure their smooth sailing back to Greece after they've taken Troy. Um, I decided to weave the story into a romance and uh, to create a sort of a cause and effect between uh, her death and her having spurned the love of Achilles' son, Neoptolemus. So that's the upshot of the romantic end of it. It's done in a flashback mode through her, uh, her mind, her thoughts. Uh, yes, in chapter 1 and chapter 24, she is in her present setting. She, uh, since I assumed the reader knew about her, and I wrote this for the people who were knowledgeable in classical literature, um, 
you know, she comes right up in paragraph five of the book and already tells the reader that um, she's going to die. And she's searching for answers to how this came about. And she's relating her story to the goddess Aphrodite, whom she holds responsible for having um, orchestrated the fate befalling her. And so in chapter one, she's in her present setting. And then in chapter 24, she's in her present setting on her way to be executed. And in between is a flashback going back to uh, sort of the day after Hector's funeral. So So Troy has fallen. We all know the story of the Trojan horse. Like you were saying, she is about to die, and so this takes us uh, through all the events that have led up to this. Yes, yes. Her flashback uh, informs the reader how she came to that end. Tell us about her relationship with Achilles. Okay, in, uh, in mythology, she, uh, Achilles and Polyxena fell in love with each other, and... Uh, that is the true romance that exists between her, that occurs between her and Achilles. And the way I created the story, she uh, is sent to the Amazons after Hector's death by her father to try to encourage their queen, Penthesilia, to join in the war effort. Well, she accomplishes this and then Achilles is sent out by Agamemnon, the Greek supreme greek commander to uh, to destroy the amazons and he succeeds in doing that and and then she's his captive more or less and it's when he escorts her back to troy that uh, you know romance blossoms between them and the romance that blossoms between achilles and um, polyxena is a true romance they are really in love with each other. Even though they are enemies. Even, even though, yes, she, she, uh, she knows the full ramifications of it. And, uh, in fact, my favorite chapter in the whole book is chapter 10, where Polixena uh, changes from loathing Achilles to falling in love with him. I had to... You know, I have to figure out how to create this in a very credible manner, and uh, I think I did. <laughs> because this is forbidden love, obviously, with these yes, enemies. Because she, they are enemies. She, you know, she's a, she's a Trojan and he's a Greek, and they are at war. So, um, you know, she and she fully understands this. That's why she, her, you know, her love doesn't just pop up. Or you know, she's. She fights it at first. She knows the ramifications. She's, uh, she's, she does not, she thinks it's wrong, and she, she just can't believe this is happening. But the goddess Aphrodite is weaving her spell over her. <laughs> she falls in love with him against all her expectations. Now, one of the points that uh, you are making in this book, you have an anti-war theme. Now, tell us, explain that. Um, okay, this, uh, a large part of this, uh, the Trojan War, uh, what happens to her is um, 
she loses everyone that's near the war is responsible for her losing everybody that she loves and uh, she you know she questions the whole futility of the war in one particular passage she even wonders why the troops don't mutiny since uh, they're led by their leaders from one disaster to another and here I'm speaking about the stalemate of the fighting between the in front of Troy with neither side getting any uh, you know taking any advantage um, so and, and you know she um, she also questions the uh, you know the uh, there, there's some moral issues she um, she questions the uh, whether it's ever justified to kill the prisoners of war and uh, um, a lot of this uh, and well you know mainly it deals with the futility of her her entire uh, her entire enterprise to go to the Amazons and have them fight for her winds up being for nothing because Priam could not implement the plan he was working on because one of his allies deserted him. Uh, Priam's goal was basically to uh, have the Amazons threaten the Greeks on their northern frontiers, and then when Agamemnon has to split his army to counter Penthesilea's moves, you know, Priam was going to make an all-out drive to destroy the Greeks around Troy. But this does not materialize, and Polixena does not find this out till after she gets back to Troy, that all of that was for nothing because uh, Priam could not implement his plan. So I, I kind of want to emphasize the capriciousness and the futility of a lot of the things that happen in warfare. And of course, you're also dealing with, uh, back to this romance story, is to deal with the death of Achilles. Yes, and this once Polixena gets back to Troy, I follow very closely the uh, you know what is written in the the mythology about the Trojan story. Um, she, uh, according to the mythology, uh, you know, uh, Achilles is killed while trying to seek the hand of Polixena in Mary. Well, that's one of the stories. There's a lot of stories. But this is the one I um, chose to select. And uh, he is ambushed by uh, Paris and Deiphobus, Polixenus brothers, as he seeks her hand. Now, in my book, uh, I twist that around a little. Um, Polixena, uh, Paris and Deiphobus want to use Polixena's name to lure her Achilles into his trap. So they they fabricate the story that Polixena has been banished from the Trojan court because of her love for the enemy Achilles and that he can pick her up before the next battle. So Achilles goes ahead and does that and he is ambushed by them and killed by them. And it all happens right in front of Polixena. She's watching all that from the top of the wall. Now, you're also trying to help the reader really understand Polixena and wanting the reader to actually fall in love with her. 
Yes. That's why I wrote it in the first person, which is a tricky business to do. You know, a male writing uh, a female's point of perspective. But I chose to keep it general. And basically, uh, it has to do with my uh, assuming that the reader knows that po what happens to Polexma. You know, gearing the books towards the classical, right, uh, person knowledgeable in classical literature. But this will not, be, you know, this should not detract anyone else from reading it because, uh, because what I try to do is, uh, she's basically the, uh, the everyday type of uh, sweet girl next door type, who is caught up in this, uh, you know, in this whirlwind of warfare and uh, the brutality and cruelty of war. But she has, you know, she's basically a nice person. She has a um, She's kind-hearted, and she basically has a forgiving nature. And uh, I think as the reader goes along reading that, um, you know, he does take a liking to her because of her basic good qualities. But she's not perfect, and she has flaws and vulnerabilities that come with their youthfulness, and she makes yes. mistakes. Yes, she uh she was warned by her prophetic sister, Cassandra. She is warned repeatedly in the book to stay away from, um, from Neoptolemus, Achilles' son. But inadvertently, she meets him anyway. And, uh, but she doesn't listen to her sister. And I don't do this because of, um, you know, that she doesn't like Cassandra or anything. Um, in the Greek mythology, Cassandra was doomed by the god Apollo to uh, have the ability to prophesize, but no one would ever listen to her prophecies. So when Polyxena does not listen to her sister's warnings, it's, it's, she's basically fulfilling that prophecy. So you're pointing out the grief that comes from death and the acceptance of its reality. That's part of the, well, that is like the major theme, isn't it, of the book? It has a lot to do with it. Polixena is a, um, you know, she's very precocious. She's, uh, she's a, um, you know, she thinks about things. She And... Uh, she uh, rationalized, you know, when Achilles is killed, she has to rationalize it because it's, you know, it's very painful for her. And, uh, and uh, she uh, under, you know, she contemplates on it and she thinks about the irreversibility of death, you know, recognizing it as, uh, as what she calls, uh, you know, it's also good in some ways because, uh, it forces you to come to grips with it and exceed its truth. And the realization comes to you that, uh, you know, you can move on in spite of it. The title of the book, Polixena, A Story of Troy, and the author is Herb Ellinger. Herb, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can uh, get it through iUniverse. Uh, or you can order it through a local bookstore, um, um, Barnes and Nobles, or uh, Amazon.com. Um, it's basically yeah. Um, there's all kinds of sources for it. 
You can also look up www.hallinger.com and they'll give you, you know, you'll get more on it. Well, thanks a lot for being on iUniverse Radio, Herb. Okay. That was Herb Allinger. He is the author of his book, Polixena, A Story of Troy. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.